The following Dharma talk was given by monastic Shoan Ankele at Zen Mountain Monastery. Shoan is a Dharma holder in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is given free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thank you for listening. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Wednesday of Sishin, its own particular experience. I wanted to speak about uh, entering, about passing through, about doors. To me, sometimes it feels like session. It's like we start and then like how do I, each time I have to sort of remember and like reinvest my trust and like how do I actually enter in deeply? How do I actually start to pass through? And yesterday I was walking to the office um, on office shift to work on this talk and um, feeling the kind of tension in myself around that and, oh, you know, the, my own special <laughs> brew. And um, I heard this um, creak from the forest, this like, And, you know, it was a tree, I think, rubbing against another tree, but it had that exact sound of like a really creaky door. So I paused for a moment and I thought, okay, this is my chance. Let me enter. And um, lo, it doesn't take much. There's the, uh, all of the doors of... Um, you know, the, the, the myths and the fairy tales. One of my favorites, of course, is the, the wardrobe in C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where at the back of the wardrobe is a door into a whole nother world. And in um, uh, the novel by Philip Pullman, The Subtle Knife, there's a young boy who can... Um, he's, the, he's the bearer of a, uh, a magical knife with the property when used by someone who is, knows how to use it, of being able to cut in space a door to another world. And it's quite wonderful in the novel. There's um, time and attention given to describing how he um, has to practice and train to be able to feel with the edge of the knife, where to cut. Of course, we have um, blades in our tradition too, the sword of Manjushri, so sharp. It's the sword of wisdom, of prajna, to cut through conceptual mind. That's the door, really. That's the door. And in the Zen teachings again and again, there are so many examples of passing through that threshold. Just in the same way, the sound of the pebble strikes bamboo 
or the sight of the peach blossom or the candle extinguished. So many of the koans and teaching stories are about suddenly nirvana and samsara seem, we think, they're worlds apart. But right there, right here, it's just a shift of consciousness, this passage. Mu is a door. Shikantaza is a door. Being completely intimate with your breath is a door. So how, how, do we find, how do we find the seams, right? How do, we, how do we feel our way? How do we find that door that's right here? That sharp edge is our awareness. It's our clear, bright mind. And it's really, it's not about wielding a sword so much as it is about letting things settle down. So that clear, bright, sharp mind of awareness can perceive. Awareness is naturally sharp when it's unobscured. We have those moments, right, as the mind starts to settle where the water is just water and you can really, it goes all the way through. In um, Genjo Koan, Dogen Zenji says, to carry the self forward and illuminate the myriad things is delusion that the myriad things come forth and illuminate the self is awakening. And so the metaphor of the sword or making a door only goes so far because actually if we're advancing, if we're looking, if we're feeling for the seams, it's just more of the same. We're still in the way. The ego's still running the show, trying to do its thing. We want an experience. We're trying to make it happen. That gets more and more subtle, but still there's that churn, that longing. The mind is still active. Duality is still functioning. Sometimes you can really see you know, how, how you're in the way. Like we're, we're, we're in a mood and we can see that we're in a mood, but we still don't have anything that we can do about it. So it's humbling. And, um, you know, sometimes from within that space to really ask the question like, why is this a problem? Right? We want it to go away. We want the circumstance to change. We want a different experience. And so there's still some movement. But why is it a problem? Who said? Why is being in a bad mood a problem? I mean, from a certain perspective, you could cause harm, for sure, acting out. So that's, that's a problem. But within the interior sphere of our own being, when we're just, you know, sour in ourselves, interesting to consider. We're attached. 
we're attached. And, uh, you know, more and more to be feeling our way into and appreciating this quality of attachment because that's what's keeping us separate. And the quality of attachment, of course, as the teachings say again and again, is an attachment to ourself. So when we talk about like cutting through conceptual mind, that's the biggest piece, the concept of our separate self, which like concept sounds so like dry and technical and manageable, like, well, I'm not so conceptual, but really it's like woven in. It's like so um, uh, hard, hard to let go. And kind of, we love it, so we're also conflicted, who really wants to let go of themselves in a way. Just like improve, make better. Not dissolve altogether. Whenever we see our suffering, our discomfort, then we know there's attachment. Because we want something else, we want a different experience. And so, the good news is that if you're like in a bad mood, uncomfortable, tired, whatever, your body's aching, you're wondering why you're here, your mind won't settle, any of these so-called sort of um, chafing points of the self, those are exactly the place where you can enter. Exactly, exactly. We can um, know ourselves, and then we have to see, like, where are we telling a story, even on a very subtle level? You know, where, where is that um, movement of the mind, that, like, whirring, conceptual, dervish? Where is it, where is it functioning? How is it functioning? And I don't know, I mean, I guess like, it's like you can look and you can see, but you can also just sort of feel the backdraft of it. I feel like sometimes maybe I don't see completely, but I can feel like, okay, yeah, it's whirring, it's in motion, feel the, 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 the movement of the air. And so um, that's enough. That's enough. Sometimes we can get tight, I can get tight, trying to like look and see the whole thing laid out plain and clear, and actually that's just more of me advancing the self, to let the 10,000 things advance. The myriad things come forth, is Kaz Tanahashi's translation, that the myriad things come forth and illuminate the self, is awakening. In her book, um, Practical Mysticism, Evelyn Underhill says, we've agreed for the most part to live in a world of labels, to make of them the current coin of experience and ignore their merely symbolic character, the infinite gradation of values which they misrepresent. This is like... Um, so bottomless... The world of labels, of knowing what things are, misknowing 
what things are, but being invested in that. That's where suffering comes from. That misunderstanding and the way it perpetuates and plays out. So here at the beginning of Sishin, we have this like incredible opportunity to um, continually encounter, because we're in such a simplified space and time, um, without the same kinds of demands, complex demands, that we might be encountering in our um, ordinary day-to-day life, to really let all of that fall away, to really start to like be on to ourselves in terms of the, um, the, the way that we are uh, creating m- more than we need to, right, at any moment. Like when we talk about something being conceptual or intellectual or an idea, it's like we're projecting, right? We're projecting onto the things ahead in front of us. And there's the um, you know, conventional sense of um, what things are that we share. And um, there's loosening that and getting a break from it and seeing through it and seeing sort of the other side. We talk about the two truths. So in the relative world, there's me and there's you. And then in the absolute, there's not a single thing. So the self is conceptual mind. Gender is conceptual mind. Patriarchy is conceptual mind. All things we need to reckon with and work with, and at the same time, learn to see through. That way, the more that we work with them, the more that work is infused with clarity, non-suffering, the recognition of our shared nature. So we're not so easily fooled. So we can draw upon and support each other in what's really true. There are bodies. There is birth and death. Is there? At some point, we start to clarify and have more and more confidence in the fact that our whole sense of self is a conceptual mirage. The closer we look, the more we see there's nothing there. But at the same time, it's like we're going through the door and back out again, and through the door and back out again, and through the door and back out again. Because it's like everything else is happening in relationship to that self. So it's no wonder that practice and training take a while, really. I mean, we're not just talking about, like, learning how to relax and feel good. It's like, how do you see, like, the shimmering 
It's coming into being, arising and vanishing, intermingle, like in the midst, in the midst of everything seeming solid and fixed. There's this, I was um, poking around in the archives the other day, and I found there's a box of shikishi, these like um, calligraphy tiles, paper tiles that um, Daida Roshi painted that are collected down there. And there's one that I just hadn't, I just hadn't seen anything like this of his before. It's a figure, a monastic from behind with robe and shaved head. And there's, um, a, you know, just, just a drawn gesture wise in ink, the wash. And then behind a gesture of mountains. And then in his, in his hand, um, wandering endless mountains, wandering endless mountains, following winding rivers. She is always in the middle of the mysterious subtlety, yet no one has ever seen her. The hand leading the rope lets it fall free. The ox, unencumbered, dances on clear ground. It's marked Fall 2000 Ango. I don't know if it was a Shuso poem or what. But um, letting that mirage drop, stopping the control, not leading, not controlling, not managing, just wandering, (laughs) dropping the rope, letting the ox dance. Rumi has a poem about doors. You might have heard it. Yeah. This is a Coleman Barks translation. The breeze at dawn has secrets to tell you. Don't go back to sleep. You must ask for what you really want. Don't go back to sleep. People are going back and forth across the door sill where the two worlds touch. The door is round and open. Don't go back to sleep. Don't go back to sleep. That going back to sleep, that like letting the solidity return, the, uh, the, the, the glimpse that we may have into just how shifting, ephemeral, insubstantial we are. And then the like whoo, tightening it up again. So like Zazen, Sashin, like Zen training, it's like, you know, learning how to make contact with that, see into ourselves in that way, and then again and again and again and again and again. Encountering our own emptiness again and again and again. 
That's how we loosen and dissolve our clinging. Maybe, maybe there are, you know, um, cases where someone has such a potent insight or opening experience that that repetition isn't so necessary. But um, for a lot of us, it's necessary. For me, it's necessary. That um, the Heart Sutra, of course, is the pith teaching on emptiness. We chant it every day. I mean, the only problem with chanting the Heart Sutra every day is like you stop sort of, you can stop hearing it, right? You can stop sort of taking it in. And, and there are different stories. I've heard from people in the Sangha talk about like that first encounter with the Heart Sutra, like wandering into the temple and like hearing the Heart Sutra and being like, what? Like so shaken, so moved. Um, yeah, another friend said she was in a poetry class with um, Allen Ginsberg, and he brought in the Heart Sutra, and she was just like, so, like, we hear something in that, we can, and, like, it can really enter. And, of course, the Heart Sutra, um, the, the story around that is, like, when the, when the Buddha started to lay out the Prajnaparamita teachings, like, a huge portion of the assembly got up and left. And I've told this story before, but it's so germane, I'm going to tell it again. When, um, when I was living at the temple some years back, and Shugen Roshi was down there, and we had an anga where we were studying the Heart Sutra, and um, there was a, a mando one evening, and um, the zenda was packed, and it was, you know, mostly students, but it was open. So there were some people who were, had just kind of like found the temple, wandered in, like taken their seat, were there for the teaching. And um, he started to teach on the Heart Sutra and form an emptiness. And this woman who I'd never seen before, I was sitting in the back kind of as a, as a monitor. This woman who I'd never seen before got up and the zendo was like, you had to sort of like move through and she was like weaving her way through like the zabatons to get out. So I like met her at the door and I thought, you know, is she not feeling well or you know, I was, is everything okay? And she said, yeah, this is a little too much for me right now. Much respect that someone actually heard it and could take it in and say like, you know what? Not ready. I can't remember her exact words. It wasn't quite what I just said. It was more along the lines of like, I'm not ready for this. Yeah. That part where, um, well, I guess it's right at the beginning. Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva, doing deep Prajnaparamita, clearly saw emptiness of all the five conditions, thus completely relieving misfortune and pain. Just saying, okay? So that like samsara, nirvana, like the real full relief from misfortune and pain is like totally seeing the emptiness. Like we're not going to sort of get away with like, okay, I like sort of saw emptiness and like I'm still kind of attached to myself. And like, I mean, maybe life gets a lot better, but if you really want to completely relieve misfortune and pain, it's right out front. You've got to like see all the way through. And, and stop the clinging. O Shariputra, form is no other than emptiness. Emptiness, no other than form. Form is exactly emptiness. Emptiness, exactly form. 
Sensation, conception, discrimination, awareness are likewise like this. And I was thinking about how that part, um, you know, form is exactly emptiness, emptiness exactly form. Just the, uh, the, the, the depth of that teaching, the depth of that, like, um, koan, the, the impossibility to sort of like grab hold of it. And then when, when, this, when Avalokiteshvara says, you know, the other skandhas, sensation, conception, discrimination, and awareness are likewise like this, I hadn't ever really like spun that out. But like that, so you should be able to spin it out, right? Sensation is exactly emptiness. Emptiness, exactly sensation. Conception is exactly emptiness. Emptiness, exactly conception. Discrimination is exactly emptiness. Emptiness, exactly discrimination. Desire is exactly emptiness. Emptiness, exactly desire. In fact, you should be able to like substitute anything Hmm. Can you feel like the, the world starts to shimmer? So how, how, how to um, find our way in? You can't start, right? We can't start like going around looking for emptiness. That is doomed. <laughs> I say that knowing from firsthand experience, save you the trouble. Yeah. Um, but you can settle in to what your experience is right now. You can settle in to your body, your feeling, to the sensations surrounding you, and begin to loosen that clinging, grasping mind. And fear will probably come, anxiety will probably come. And that's right there in the sutras, right? As the Buddha is sort of like uh, approaching the threshold of his own realization, Mara is there, like rattling the roof. So we're going to feel like it's hard, it's hard. And at the same time, that sense of it's hard is just another concept. So you relax right into that. In fact, whatever arises in your experience, as soon as there's you and that experience, your, um, your, your, your being given a um, view of the door. So you soften into just that experience which means we can't manage, we can't control, we can't judge. I mean, we will, but that's not going to help. It's really allowing, 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 opening, relaxing, relaxing. We don't have to make anything happen. It's already happening. It's just a matter of, of refraining from our usual involvement the usual struggle. 
And so there is a real need to have a, a basic kindness that we're also cultivating toward ourselves, a tenderness of heart, a non-judgmental energy toward ourselves. Because that piece just gets in there, from my experience, and gums up the works. So like, it's like, think of that kindness or that self-acceptance as like the antithesis of any kind of struggle, right? Like, it's okay. It's okay. Whatever comes, it's okay. And so, you know, really great to be aware of the big ones. Struggle for perfection. Judgment of any kind. Self-judgment, other judgment. So when these arise, just first to recognize, like, okay, there it is. I'm not to blame. I'm not in control. This is my karma. This is my karma. Causes and conditions since beginningless time have been such that this is coming into being right now. So stopping the blaming, stopping the judgment, stopping the controlling, and actually trying to be with our experience as uncomfortable as it may be in a live way at that very time. To recognize where's the idea Right? Perfection is always based in an idea. It's a total fantasy. It's a total fantasy. Really. Look. We're very attached to that fantasy, maybe. The better me. So seductive. Has like all of the things we love the most. But it's really only when we open to the reality of like non-perfection. There's that line in the um, Faith Mind poem. To live in this realization. Well, right before, one thing, all things, move among and intermingle without distinction. To live in this realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. So, you know, there's an edge there because Zen has a lot of forms and some of you all have service positions and there's like, you do it like this and not like that. It's all a setup for you. <laughs> there was a time there was someone who was really anxious about being the last person in Orioki. Like it had really like consumed their mind and they basically, they were like, I can't, I like, kind of can't even like be in session because I'm like so concerned that I'm gonna be the last one every meal. That's like the only, like that's like basically that's my experience of session. And so I was like, okay, well, why don't you just decide right now that you're going to be the last one? Like, let's just take that right off the worry table. <coughs> it's a fact. If you're not the last one, slow down. <laughs> And this person totally took, I never checked in with them, like, how did that go for you? But I did, I did notice that, like, wow, okay, we're waiting for this person again. 
Good job. Good job. (laughs) And when the teachings talk about perfection, of course, they're not talking about our idea, right? They're talking about that um, completeness, that wholeness. Patro Rinpoche says, practitioners who wish to realize the genuine view without mistake should allow the mind to rest with vivid clarity in an unaltered, empty state of mind. When the mind is still, then settle into that stillness without trying to alter it in any way. When it is not thinking, settle directly into that non-thinking without trying to alter it. In short, do not alter the mind, but settle directly into whatever occurs. This teaching goes on. I should have, really, I should have copied the part where he's talking about when your mind is busy and when you're consumed with thoughts. Um, This part is, you know, showing a different side because he says the same thing. Settle into the one who thinks. If our mind is spinning, just settle into the one who thinks. Don't try to alter. Don't try to control. Settle directly into whatever occurs. Settle directly into the one who thinks. All those little moments that we have in the day, you know, where there's, where there's something that's like held up or, or sort of underscored, um, like the work service or canton in the morning or all of these moments where, where there's a form that's saying like, okay, bring your intention to wake up alive again. Like really use those. Really use those. They're very, they're there because they're effective. All those moments where we're, we're bowing, we're prostrating ourselves, enter. Enter that bow. Three of them, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Feel what that is towards the altar, with the sangha. There's a way in which liturgy is giving us access, like um, in, a, in a sort of through the channel of, of devotion, you might say, which is non-conceptual. And so it's not, we don't have to understand or, or make sense of what's happening, but to actually go into it with the body and let the, get out your sword, <laughs> and let the conceptual mind sort of fall aside. And, you know, when we get tangled in conceptual mind, trying to, like, cut through it, go to the body. Go to the body. You can go to the body when you're moving. Sometimes that's easiest. But you can go to the body in zazen when you seem to be completely still, right? Just connecting with the breath using the different senses to like come back into the present, to loosen the thinking mind. There's like a delicious 
light breeze, like right now, you might even be able to feel come across you. Maybe it's just where I'm sitting. And then to, to, to open this, this, this so-called door, you know, you can't rush. So that's the first sort of reminder, like don't rush. And when we get into that kind of, you know, trying to like plan our shower or like take care of fit in, I do this, like fit this piece of work in at this break, like no, 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 no. We have our whole life to sort of be productive, efficient, take care of business, even to shower. <laughs> so really, like, don't rush. Like, settle, settle, into, settle into a deeper rhythm. The schedule holds us, so we're not going to, like, totally spin off. And even within that, how can we kind of, like, relax? Notice where you get tight. Right? So notice for yourself, where does judgment come? Self-judgment, other judgment. Where do thoughts of the future, perfection, the thing that's going to happen, the better experience, how does that arise? So notice that. That's showing you conceptual mind. Come back to the body, relax. Come back to your practice. All of practice is honing non-conceptual awareness. So come back to practice. Cultivate that heart of devotion, that that intention, um, however it shows up for you, the longing, the love for the Dharma, the appreciation for the three treasures, the warmth in your heart, gratitude toward the teachers. In whatever way, right, that's non-conceptual. You can use that. And then as things slow down, right, as the week unfolds and things slow down, look. Look and ask, what is going on? What is this experience? When we're having a reaction and it seems like something happened out there and now I'm like having my reaction, look really closely. What's really going on? Allow some space. Don't fill in so quick. We have to train in not knowing. Not knowing in the deepest, most intimate sense, and also just letting ourselves be uncomfortable that we don't know. We haven't figured it out. We won't figure it out. In the Red Pine translation, his, his translation of the Heart Sutra, he says, um, instead of no hindrance, no hindrance in the mind, no hindrance, therefore no fear, he says no walls in the mind. No walls, therefore no fear. So there's no doors. There's no doors. Heart Sutra ends with that mantra. Gate gate para gate parsam gate bodhisvaha. Typically translated as gone, gone beyond, gone completely beyond.
beyond conceptual mind. Thank you for listening. To find out more about ZMM's programs, retreats and residency, please visit us online at zmm.org.